You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll wrap up our examination of forgiveness that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and the forgiveness we are called to show others as a result. And I want you to join me in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. This is the conversation that is taking place between Jesus and Peter. And it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Well, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I know that many of you have got your dinner plans all perfected. Perhaps roasts are in the oven or reservations are set for where you and your family will dine in a little bit. And since food is probably on your mind, I want to talk for a few moments from this thought. Serve the same food you've received. Serve the same food that you receive. Look at someone near you and just declare that to them. Tell them, serve the same food you receive. The main point of the production that you just watched is the main point of this entire teaching series, and that is that the heart of the gospel is forgiveness. Often in the build-up, to Resurrection Sunday, what we call Holy Week. Often we focus on a number of different aspects that are central to our faith that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and all of those things are important and significant. But what we don't want to be lost on you is that regardless of all of those things, Maldi Thursday, Good Friday, the heart of of the gospel. If you wanted to sum up everything that God was doing through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it can be summed up in one word, and that is forgiveness. That is what this production has been really trying to illustrate in a very vivid way, that throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, even during His final moments, the agonizing moments of the cross, throughout the scenes that you saw play out in front of you, throughout all of that, he forgave. Now, when you look at this, 
Only through the eyes of your humanity, it sometimes can be hard to embrace. I mean, when you look at this only through the eyes of your humanity, it's kind of hard to fathom that even while he was hanging on the cross, experiencing the worst form of torture ever known to man, that one of his final words were, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. It's kind of hard to imagine that, that while he was hanging on the cross for crimes he did not commit, he forgives a thief who was guilty of crimes he did commit. It, it's it's kind of hard when you look at this only through the lens of, of our limited humanity to even wrap your mind around the fact that, that he knew that Judas was going to betray him. But even knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he still has a final meal with him and even washes his feet. It's kind of hard if you look at this only through the lens of, your, of, of our limited or your sheer humanity to even wrap your mind around the fact that, that in John 21 that we just looked at, that he reinstates Peter. Peter, Peter who was impetuous, Peter who overpromised and underdelivered, Peter who said that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, Peter who said that I got your back, that I'm right or die, and before the rooster crowed, Peter had denied Jesus three times. But the reason that all of these accounts are front and center, not only in the Word of God, but front and center. Of, of our faith is because what God wants us to clearly understand and to never forget is that forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, one of the biggest reasons that we celebrate a risen Savior is because what he did for all of us on the cross 2,000 years ago took care of the debt and penalty that should have been ours. Meaning that he took our sins upon himself. And because of what he did, you and I are forgiven. But this forgiveness comes with an obligation. God expects forgiven people to forgive. I got three amens right there. That's fine. You see many people today wearing this t-shirt that says, for given. That's one of the main messages of Resurrection Sunday. That you and I are alive today. That we, that we are enjoying the life that God has so graciously given us. That we have not been cut down because of our mistakes or our failures or our sins. Because we are forgiven. But you can't even spell forgiven without understanding the obligation to first forgive. You cannot fully appreciate the reality that you and I have been forgiven without understanding that God also expects us to forgive. This is why even in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, it says this, it says, that we are to treat each other a certain way. We're supposed to be kind and compassionate to one another. And what else does it say? It's forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. 
That what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago comes with an obligation for how we are to treat one another. And the Word of God says that just as we were forgiven by God in Jesus Christ, that we are supposed to also forgive others, meaning Jesus is our model. That it is not just about celebrating Resurrection Sunday one Sunday out of the year, but it is literally about living the reality of that resurrected life every single day. And if we're going to live the reality of our resurrected king. That's why we sang that song. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And if we're going to live that reality every single Sunday, then this is what it means. It means that just like he forgave us, we have to forgive others. And I know immediately you begin to think, well, I don't know if I could do this. Well, let me show you how Jesus is our model. Because often we misunderstand forgiveness. But the reason that Jesus was able to forgive, regardless of some of the worst things that have happened, are happening now, or will ever happen, is because Jesus never let the offense, he never let what someone did determine whether or not he would forgive them. Jesus separated uh, their sin from their person. Meaning Jesus was more concerned with the person than he was their action. My grandmother used to say it like this. He loves the sinner but hates the sin. Because he was more concerned about the person than the action. We, on the other hand, don't separate the two. We tend to focus not just on uh, who they are, but also what they did. And when you don't separate who they are from what they did, you end up in a situation where you end up trying to rank the offenses. And you start thinking, well, this down here I can forgive, but this up here, because of what you did, I don't know if I can forgive that. But that's not the way that God dealt with us in Jesus Christ. He didn't say, now, if you stay down here and only do these things, then I can forgive it. But if you, if you do this, then I don't know if I can forgive you. No, God loved us so much that he was more concerned about the person than he was about what they did. But this comes with an obligation. You and I are supposed to treat one another the same way. How are we to do this? I want you to understand very quickly two things. If we're going to live the reality of this resurrected life every single day, if you and I are going to forgive because we have been forgiven, then it means that you and I have got to understand two critical things. Number one, Jesus pre-forgave. See, forgiveness is a decision. It's not a process. It's not a feeling. See, whenever you view forgiveness as a process, you link whether or not you're going to forgive to the offense that somebody committed. And when you link your forgiveness to the offense, you end up, once again, ranking the offenses. You, 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 you end up uh, viewing it as a process, and when you do that, the offense still has power over you. Jesus forgave us ahead of time. He, he pre-forgave. He forgave us before any of the sins that we've ever committed. He, he didn't wait until we repented. He didn't even wait until we committed the sin. Stay with me. He chose to forgive us even before you and I made a decision to come to him. 
I got three amens right there, so let me show it to you in the Word of God. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse 3, and this is a long verse, but a long verses rather, but I want to read it to you as you follow along with me. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a great place to give God praise. But let me, let me explain what you ought to give God praise for in these verses I just read. When did God choose to forgive us? Based on these verses, he chose to forgive us, watch this, before the foundations of the world. Before the world was created. Before there was, there was matter, before there was time, before there was space, God knew that we would sin. And he made that decision at the beginning of time, before time ever began to forgive us and to make us holy and to make us blameless through Jesus Christ. He predetermined this. It was his decision, not ours. It was his idea. He made the decision long before we were even capable of making the request. This is why we celebrate the power of grace. Because you and I are here not because of where we've gone to school or how, how, how uh, uh, accomplished or uh, how ingenious we think we are. We're here because before the foundations of the world, God knew every mistake we would make and he still chose to forgive us. He knew all about it. He knew everything that we would do, every mistake, every failure. But he still chose to redeem us and to forgive us of all of it. He did not wait for us to sin. And he did not rank the sins and categorize the sins and say, and I don't know if I can forgive that. I can forgive that. That's small. But I don't know if I can forgive that. No, no, no. His love for us is greater than his hatred for our sins. And this is the model 
of forgiveness that Jesus left for us to follow. It's a pre-forgiveness. Jesus made the decision long before you and I ever even knew that we needed him to forgive us. This is why when Judas did what he did, this is why he, he could say, Judas, go, go and do what you're going to do. This is why when, when Judas met him in the garden with a kiss, he could say, friend, go, go, go and do what you came to do quickly. This is why he could have dinner with Judas and wash his feet knowing that he was going to betray him. Because long before Judas was even born, Jesus made a decision that I am going to forgive you. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. Some translations say sin. It is by grace that you have been saved. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That, that verse that talks about when we were dead in our sins, a dead in our transgressions, that means when we were separated from God. When it says he made us alive in Christ, it means that we, we were reconciled to God. We were brought back into relationship with God because of Jesus' decision to do this long before you and I were ever born. It goes on to say in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I know you may feel like you're seated physically in this sanctuary or any other sanctuaries, but look at somebody and tell them you need to know who you really are. Because if you accept Jesus as your Savior, while you physically may be here, spiritually you are seated with him in heavenly places. Touch somebody and tell them you, you are a bad mamma jamma. You have authority. This is why the enemy doesn't have access and control over your life. Because you have authority through Christ Jesus. But it says God raised us up and seated us with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared when? In advance. When did God prepare the works, the purpose for you to walk in? In advance. He did it before. Before what? Before you made the decision to come to him. That's how powerful the decision to forgive is. And that's the point that I want you to understand. That's the attitude that we ought to live with. We ought to live with this attitude that we're going to forgive people for the stuff that they do to us, even before it happens. And let me tell you something. It might not feel good. But remember, forgiveness is the decision. It's not a feeling. What Jesus is calling for us to do right now, if we're going to live the reality of his resurrection every day, he's calling for us to forgive people of the offenses against us, not just in the past, but also in the future. It means that you, you got to know that people are going to let you down. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to hurt you. But Jesus says, just like I pre-forgave you, I want you to do the same thing for them. And if you stop with, but I don't feel like it, think about how he felt when he was hanging on the cross. He, he didn't feel like experiencing that level of brutality, but he did it anyway because he chose to forgive you and me. 
And that's the obligation that you and I have. Jesus pre-forgave. And here's the second and final thing that I want to share with you as we wrap up this production in this series. But not only did he pre-forgive, Jesus also chose purposefully to pay our debt. Yeah, he pre-forgave. He made a decision before even time began that, Dad, I'm going to do this. Why? Because he chose to pay our debt. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they turned away from God, their sin created a debt. Rebellion always leaves a debt. Wounds always leave a mark. Violations always create liabilities. And the only way for that debt to be paid was through death. This is why the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so because of that debt that was created, God finds himself at a crossroads. Because he knows that the debt demands justice and that justice is death. But God in his love and in his mercy can't stand to be separated from us. And so in this, in this irreconcilable issue, the question then becomes, how can the debt be addressed? But how can the debt be addressed in such a way that you and I stay connected to God? And the whole of the Bible, if you really want to understand all 66 books of the Bible, I can sum it up to you in a real short and succinct manner. The whole of the Bible points to how this issue is going to be resolved. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible begins to, to lay out clues about how this issue was going to be resolved. This debt has to be paid. Death has to be given to, to deal with this debt. But God cannot stand to be separated from us. We are the apple of God's eye. He loves us too much to be separated from us. And so when Adam and Eve sin, we, we get the first clue. Because the Bible says that God covers Adam and Eve's nakedness with the skin of an animal. An animal has to die in order for Adam and Eve to be covered. That's the first clue. But then when you fast forward to the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, the Bible says that when he takes Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah and gets ready to crucify him, kill him in a sense, that, that the angel of the Lord says, stop, don't you put a hand on the boy. Look, there's a lamb, a ram in the bush. So with Adam and Eve, we know that an animal has to die. But with Abraham and Isaac, we find out that this animal is not just any kind of animal, it's a lamb. But then if you fast forward to Moses, and when God liberates the children of Israel on the night of the Exodus, God says, Moses, you need to take a lamb for every household, but the lamb has to be spotless, without a blemish, and apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. There's another clue. With Adam and Eve, it was an animal. With Abraham and Isaac, we know that the animal is a lamb. But with Moses and the children of Israel, we know that the lamb has to be spotless and without a blemish. But then when Isaiah comes along and begins to minister prophetically, he tells us what this lamb that's spotless and without blemish is going to do. Isaiah says that he will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace would be upon him. 
But throughout the Old Testament, we still don't know who this lamb is. We know it's an animal. We know the animal's a lamb. We know that he's without spot or blemish. We know that he's going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. But we don't find out who he is until Jesus comes to John in the Jordan River. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. What does this mean? It means that before the foundations of the world, God knew that we'd sin. God knew that we would make mistakes. But he couldn't stand to be separated from us. He knew that the debt of sin, that death had to be paid. But he couldn't stand to be separated from us. And so Jesus says, Dad, Dad, send me. Send me down through 42 generations. I will go. I will lay down my life. I will pay the debt so that your prized possessions could be reconciled to you. This is why Romans 5 and 6 even says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know if you remember your, your still sinner day. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember vividly my still sinner days. I, I remember when I was up to my neck, my eyeballs in sin. And the thought that even while I was still in sin, that Jesus died for you and I is overwhelming. I want to share another scripture with you as I prepare to close in Hebrews 10 and verse 9. It says, then he said, here am I. It's talking about Jesus and him saying, dad, I'll do it. I'll pay the debt. He says, I've come to do your will. And he set aside the first to establish the second and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all day after day every priest stands talking about the Old Testament and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when this priest the priest Jesus Christ had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, somebody say one sacrifice. By one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Translation, you and I. What he did on the cross 2,000 years ago that we just dramatized on this stage was a one Time payment that was full and complete. Everything was paid for at the cross. It is a one-time deal that never needs to be repeated. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, pastor, so then what does all of this have to do with forgiveness? I'm glad you asked. Please understand that the debt that Jesus paid on the cross 
That debt was for all sin. Past, present, and future. So I need you to understand this. Really, all sin, all offenses, it's really not against you. It's ultimately against God. See, part of the reason we struggle with forgiveness is because we think that it's about us. We, we think, well, no, they did this to us, or I can't believe that they hurt me, or I can't believe that they said that to me. No, all offenses, all sin is ultimately against God. Do, do you remember when, when David uh, sins with Bathsheba? And you remember when he's confronted, and in Psalm 51, David begins to pray a prayer of forgiveness and asking God, forgive me. Uh, He repents, and he says in in verse 3, he says, For I know that my transgressions and my sins are always before me, and against you, God, and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Wait a minute. Imagine what Uriah is thinking up in glory, because Uriah is dead. David had him murdered. Uriah is probably thinking, wait, wait a minute, against you and you alone, wait a minute, God, wait a minute, point of order, God, I have an issue here. God, he had me murdered and he took my wife. What about me? I can't believe he did this to me. But it wasn't about you, Uriah. David says, against you, God, and you alone, I have sinned. I'm teaching to some of you this morning who, who want to withhold forgiveness because you think that it's about you. And God says, no, it's bigger than you. What they did to you, they really did to me. So listen to me. Regardless of the impact that it has on us, the offenses and the sin that people have committed, it's really against God. And if you get this, it'll change how you handle negative, difficult people. You don't have to go off and give them a piece of your mind. You shouldn't give you a piece away in the first place. Because ultimately, it's not about you. It's about God. But here's the piece that I want you to understand. The blood of Jesus that he shed on Calvary. I keep pointing back to the spot where Jesus stood on this stage. was because of this. The blood of Jesus that he shared 2,000 plus years ago on Calvary covers all sins. Somebody say all sins. All sins sins includes the sins committed against you. All sins includes the stuff that people have done to you. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt, not just the debt of you and I. He paid the debt for all of humanity including the stuff, the hurtful, negative stuff that people have done to you. See, when you refuse to forgive, you are in a sense saying that there's something else that they've got to do. When you refuse to forgive, you are in essence saying that you expect something more. But to expect something more is to devalue the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, he did for the sins of the world. And to expect that other people would have to do more is in essence telling God that my standards are higher than yours. When you withhold forgiveness... 
because you expect something else. You are in essence saying to God that there was something wrong with Jesus shedding his blood. On the cross, he paid the debt, not just for some sins or a few sins, for all sins. This is why he deals with Peter the way that he does after his resurrection. Peter is ashamed. Peter is embarrassed. Peter has left the ministry. If you go back and look at John 21 before verse 15, Peter has abandoned his purpose and abandoned his calling. And Peter says, I'm just going to go back to the lifestyle I had before I even met Jesus. And when Jesus arrives, he invites Peter and the disciples to a meal. They break bread. They, they in essence, have another holy communion. Because you and I, like Peter, have access to this table. This table represents the reunion and the fellowship that we have with God the Father. But we have access to this table. We, we can come back to God no matter how many times we've blown it. No matter how many mistakes we've made. No matter how many times we've dropped the ball. No matter how many times we've done things that we said we didn't want to do. And we have the opportunity to come to this table just like Peter did in John 21. Because of the broken body and the shed blood. Of Jesus Christ. I, I want to I ask you to do something for me. And I, I hope that you won't be embarrassed. But that you be honest. If you've ever. If you've ever hurt someone. Intentionally or unintentionally. I want you to stand up at every campus. If you've ever. Made a mistake. I want you to stand. I want you to remain standing, those of you that stood in the first group. If you've ever made a mistake, stand. If you're not already standing. If you've ever done something that you really knew that you shouldn't have done, but it happened anyway. If you're not already standing, stand. If, if, if you ever said, God, I'll never do that, but then you found yourself doing it. I want you to stand if you're not already standing. If you've ever did something and you know that you not only disappointed mom and dad or brother and sister or grandma or grandfather, auntie, uncle, but you really disappointed God. If you're not already standing, I want you to stand. And I want you to look around at every campus. Everybody standing, including me. Because all of us have dropped the ball. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have lived lives that are less than perfect. And I want you to hear me very clearly. That doesn't matter to God as much as you do. You have access to God and to the life that he purposed for you to live, that life more abundantly because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why they have dinner 
And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter the question three times. Why three times? Because Peter denied him three times. And he keeps saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, okay, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. Okay, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And he gets offended because he says, why are you asking me three times? Because you denied him three times. Let me ask it a third. Do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, well, feed my lambs. Translation. All of us are alive today because of the forgiveness of God. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.